Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Sean Walker of Simple Cove, and I'm joined today by Hui Huen, the Alabama woodworker. Good evening. Good evening. And Guy Dunlap of Guy's Woodshop. Hey, Sean. How are you this evening? Good. How about you? Oh, just wonderful. Thank you for asking. Anytime. <laughs> this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and to give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shop. If you would like to support this show, we're simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife if you would like to show your support. And with that, let's get right into it. Hui, what's your first question? Okay, my first question is from Mark Bett. Hello, gentlemen. First, thanks for your input with respect to the my belt sander question. Well, you're very welcome, Mark. I did keep it. And it saved me a bunch of elbow grease on an epoxy project. Very cool. I'm kicking around the idea of installing a wood floor in my shop, which is a two-car garage with a concrete floor. I would frame it with two-by-four with plywood on top of those right over the concrete. Benefits include easier on my feet, saves the edges of my drop tools, be able to run electrical and dust collection, among others. I can't seem to find any drawbacks outside of the cost. What am I missing? For the record, no cars park inside, and I do have large stationary tools, including a table saw, six-inch joiner, bandsaw, etc. Weight considerations? Should I use two-by-six instead? What about moisture possibly wicking up through the concrete? Thanks for the input and the great podcast. Well, uh, so I think uh, all the benefits that you mentioned are exactly what I would consider as major benefits as to why I would want to have a raised floor. Being able to run, I think the major one, yes, easier on your feet, you know, dropping tools, that's great. But being able to run the electrical and dust collection underneath the floor, I think that's a huge benefit. But if there's a little bit of moisture uh, underneath the concrete, or not under the concrete, but under the wood floor, I don't think that's that much of an issue. Uh, the, the concrete's going to absorb any little bit of moisture that's on there. I just don't see that there's an issue with that. If you're at all concerned... Uh, you might consider putting maybe a little uh, fan or, or or something into the floor that you can turn on and off with a switch uh, just to just to keep the airflow moving underneath so that any moisture that does wick underneath can kind of be uh, evaporated away. Two by six versus two by four. I would probably think that two by six would be a lot easier to run dust collection than two by four. I don't think it would be that easy to because it's three and a half inches uh, at least most of the ducting that i've run for my small shop is four inch um and my main is like six inches that step down from eight inches so uh two by six might be a little bit uh small for running dust collection under there guys if i miss two by four uh, i'm sorry excuse me yes two by four might be a little bit scant for running dust collection underneath your floor guys am i missing anything uh would you say hey man if you're if you can do it, go go for it. Um, I'd always thought about doing this in my uh, my shop. I haven't looked into it at all. I know that my shop uh, dips, I guess, so that the water, if it does, it park a car in there and water drops off, it'll drain out. So uh, because you know, I've always wanted to level that off, and uh, having something like this would allow me to do that. But it's never come to fruition, and I've never done anything. But I would like to. Uh, I would love to have a setup like this. I don't know how, how far you would be able to space those if you're having heavy tools, you know, table saw joiner or something like that. I can't speak to, uh, you know, the distance between the two by sixes, but yeah, where you're right, you would definitely need at least two by sixes if you're planning on running four inch pipe under. And even then, um, I guess, what is that going to be five and a half? I mean, that should be okay for four, for four yeah. inch inner diameter, you know, PVC piping which is going to have thicker walls than, you know, like your aluminum duct work. Right. But, right. you know, Guy, do you, uh, what about you? What's your opinion on the matter? I'm not a home builder. I don't even play one on TV, but something like what, I think he's thinking about it a little bit too much. If it's a garage floor already mm -hmm. and there's no problems with water coming up through the floor. Right. I wouldn't worry about, moisture issues you can if, if, if you're really worried about moisture issues you almost have to treat it like a crawl space mm -hmm. where you you lay down some gravel and you put a sump pump in there and yeah. you 
raise the floor up, you know, 10, 12 inches off the, the bottom. Mm-hmm. You pour down some 304 gravel and put Visqueen over the top of it so you can crawl around underneath there. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessary, no. to be honest with you. I'm thinking- I would just, I would just go with a two by six mm-hmm. structure, 16 inch on center with a plywood floor would be more than strong enough to hold your machines up. Mm-hmm. That would be my recommendation. If you're worried about moisture wicking up through there, you can also you can always put down some Visqueen down there mm-hmm. just to, to, to use as a vapor barrier. Or they have other materials you can use as a vapor barrier. But right. you can't put that down. Mm-hmm. And I said, unless you have already have issues with water coming up, you know, let's say you've got a drain in your garage floor. Mm-hmm. And the water table is high enough that it actually water comes up into that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. yeah, you could seal it with epoxy or whatever that bisqueen or whatever bisquick that you said. Bisqueen, it's just plastic. Yeah, like like material they make tarps out of. Yeah, yeah kind of like the 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 vapor barrier or whatever that that sheet the sheet they put on their house when they're building a house between the plywood and the side. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, I'm not, a, I'm not a home builder and this is a home builder question, but that would just be yeah. my yeah. thoughts. However scattered they are, those that would be my thoughts. on it. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. I, I really like the idea of, of having uh, dust collection and electrical underneath. I actually had that in a shop once and it was so awesome. I didn't have pipes hanging down. I didn't have wires hanging down. Everything was in the floor. Uh, and if I needed to change things, it was it was easy enough to to pull up a couple boards and do that. Right, so. right, right. Well, okay. Uh, I think, Guy, you've got the next question. I do. Yes. Okay. This is from Tim. And Tim says, thanks for the best woodworking podcast around. Why, why thank you, Tim? He also says some other stuff there that's kind of disparaging of other podcasts, and I'm not going to repeat them. He's got a question regarding pocket hole joinery. When assembling cabinets for my shop and other projects using pocket screws, I often end up with the parts sliding out of alignment as the screws are installed. I haven't used a Craig clamp that has the pin that goes in one of the pocket screw holes but still often end up with the parts slightly misaligned. I'm considered driving a couple pin nails before driving the screws. Any other ideas that won't leave telltale, albeit small, holes that have to be dealt with. Thanks again for the great format, Tim. Well, Tim, you are not alone. I think we said this last podcast, somebody had an issue and it's like, yep, 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 yep. Everybody knows about this thing, Tim. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can recommend doing is if I, I know it, like at, like at work when we make these things, we don't, we don't even use pocket holes anymore. We actually use crown staples. <laughs> we staple the sides in and then just screw in right through the sides, mm-hmm. we, and we just forgo pocket screws completely yep. at that point. And then we put skins over the top of it to cover all those holes up. If I'm, if, you know, I'm at home, I really don't want to do that. And I'm going to use pocket hole screws. That's fine. What I typically do is I just clamp the living hell out of it. Mm-hmm. I, I That's probably the only time I use my parallel jaw clamps. I'm not a big fan of parallel clamps, but that's probably the only time I use them because I can get more pressure, especially on like nailers and supports and things like that. And I really tighten them up quite a bit. And then I drive the screws. Yeah. Uh, another thing you can do is at work, we have we have a Craig Foreman. We've got the regular Craig, I think it's like a K4 or whatever the hell it is. But we also use the Castle machine. Mm-hmm. The Castle machine drills the hole at a different angle. And it's actually inside the machine, there's two pieces to it. There's a drill and a router. So you move the lever forward, it brings the router up and creates the pocket, and you bring the lever back and it drills a hole. Yeah. And that's at a much it's at a much steeper angle than the Craig hole. 
And when you drill the, when you put the screws in, it doesn't move the other piece around as much. Yep. And there's a lot, a lot less misalignment. So I guess my recommendations are, are two things. Clamp the hell out of it or get a different pocket holes jig. Mm-hmm. Sean, you are the pocket hole king. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I use what, them at what are least, your thoughts on this? I use them at least once a year. Um, so I know everything about it. It, it, it's difficult. Uh, I definitely agree with that. I, I guess he's kind of doing something similar now with using pin nails and then putting the screws in. So you could use some some glue and, and pin nails, let it dry, and then screw it in, clamp the heck out of it, like you said, or yeah, bypass but, it all together. But, but I mean, if, he does, if you don't want the, the, the pin nails in there. Yeah. Then you got to clamp it. That's your only option. Yeah. 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 I like good. using like a surface type clamps. Um, or some type of stop. Uh, oftentimes I'll do that, and that helps keep the front of the carcass aligned because I care more about the front being aligned. Um, but that's about the only tip I can think of is is similar to the way you were talking about clamping it, but, uh, but you know, I, I kind of use my MFT-style top or table uh, with stops, surface clamps, uh, to make sure that the front of the car- carcass is aligned, that's what I do. I guess I guess I guess I don't see that on an MFT. You're talking about the face frame? Mm-mm, no the carcass. Uh, the carcass. I, I have like a vertical. How do I say this? I've got like a vertical attachment that I use to attach the horizontal pieces to the vertical pieces. And so then I'll put a stop, like a sur- like the MFT, uh, what is it, uh, the Festool surface clamps, you know, those little like stops. Mm-hmm. And I'll push that stop up. You know, the one piece is clamped vertically, so that's not going to move. But the front, uh, the front okay. of the carcass, the, uh, I guess, stretchers or whatever, you, the, the nailers on top and the bottom piece, uh, those can move. So uh, I'll have the uh, MFT or the Festool uh, clamping element stop on, on the front, but up against the other piece. And so then I'll push the nailer against that, and or I'll use the surface clamp against it to hold it in place, and then I'll drill it, and it really doesn't move that much then. But honestly, the last time I did a cabinet for uh, uh, like a linen cabinet, I nailed through the side and then put screws straight through because... Yeah. I was going to paint it. So a little bit of spackle, sand it down, paint it. You never see it. Yeah. So, eh, yeah. you know, it's, it's a pretty common problem, Tim, is those, those things flying around on you. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> again, probably the best thing I can tell you is clamp the hell out of it. Yeah. yeah. And you got, it's got to be really tight uh, and they don't move around pre and you can also pre drill that helps. Mm, that's, yeah. that's another thing that, that I found. We have these long, you know, 12 inch long, uh, eighth inch drills. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of bend it a little bit mm-hmm. and go in at an angle that helps mm-hmm. quite a bit, especially mm-hmm. when we're like attaching face frames to the cabinets because we're drilling into, into wood and the Craig jig doesn't seem to drill very, doesn't seem to drill the hole coming out of the plywood. Unless you fudge the numbers that they have on it. Mm, yeah. And this will go in and it'll actually, you know, pre-drill the hole also in what you're mating it to. And that'll prevent it from moving around. So there's another thing you can do is pre-drill the holes. Have you yeah. guys ever used any of the corner clamps? I guess Craig makes corner clamps. I'm yes. pretty positive woodpeckers makes corner clamps. and whatnot. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've used, I've used everything. I've got, uh, both types of the woodpeckers, mm-hmm. their box clamps and their angle clamps, both the old ones and the new ones they just came out with. Yeah. <clears throat> Probably the best ones I've used mm-hmm. are the ones from Rockler, and they're like yeah. clips mm-hmm. yeah. that you just set the piece on. But we only have to do that one time yeah. because, like I said, what we're, what we're doing typically is we're, we're not even pocket screwing these things together. We're setting them up, we're putting some glue on there, or driving staples into it yep. to hold it together, and then you know popping screws in it right through the, the side of the cabinet. And yeah, that, 
they don't move around. I can put a, a, a box together for a, a cabinet in like five minutes that way. I, I used to, I used to use dominoes and I used to, you know, do all the stuff to help conceal stuff and whatnot. And then I, I w- was watching Gregory, Gregory Paulini's uh, videos on how to make cabinets or how he makes cabinets. And he's just, yeah, just brad nails and, and, and uh, crown, crown staples and then screw it through. And he doesn't even use glue. I mean, he's like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. You can always use like biscuits or dominoes to yep. help align them and they won't For move sure. as easy that way. Right. right. I do like using biscuits. Mm-hmm. That makes for sense. For stuff like that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it doesn't have to be like super uber strong or anything like that. I mean, it just has to help align it, right? So, oh, All right. Than people give it <laughs> yeah, Sean's ready to move on. He's done. It's about 15 uh, alternatives there for you. Okay. <laughs> Sean, right. it's your turn, man. All right. We got to keep this train Sean of moving Sean must here. have a really good question. What's that question, Sean? No, I just got a different question here. So this is oh. from Nathaniel. Hey, this is a juicy question, though. I'm, I'm interested to hear from what you all have to say on this. Hey guys, I have a question slash conversation. I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the topic of the expense of woodworking as a hobby. I feel like a lot of woodworking influencers, I guess you'd call them, are afraid to actually talk about the real cost of woodworking. I feel it's taboo or something. If you're someone who is cheap or doesn't have the means, I don't think this is the hobby for you. Things like having climate controlled shop, having proper dust collection, having all of the proper 220 installed in your shop, then having the right tools to do each operation. I don't know. I guess I'm just blunt about it. If you want to do this hobby right and also safely, it's going to cost a lot of money. Just wondering your thoughts, Nathaniel. And I took this because, well, for a few reasons, but the main reason is when you release videos on YouTube, mm-hmm. you get the dreaded, I could build that too if I had $10,000 worth of tools. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, look, I've got more than $10,000 worth of tools. <laughs> first off, so, right? First off, buddy. But no. <laughs> You know, and, and to touch on what Nathaniel is saying, if you're cheap or you don't have the means, I don't think this is the hobby for you. I, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily buy that. You know, you can pay a monthly fee to join a makerspace and you're going to have mm-hmm. access to all of these tools. And as cheesy as it sounds, you know, if you're really interested in the woodworking hobby and you have a drive to build, you can find one of these spaces and you're going to get a feel for exactly what you like and what you don't like about this hobby. And if you like it, continue paying for the monthly, you know, monthly fee until you have the funds saved up. You don't have to build a shop with Powermatic and Felder and all these other name brand tools to start. You just, you absolutely do not. And the the fact of, of people saying you need 220, you need climate control, you need, you know, proper dust collection. You need, you don't have to have that. Those are not, you don't need those to begin. Mm-hmm. You know, now having said that woodworking is very, very expensive if you get the top of the line tools, but you don't, yeah. like I started my entire shop with $2,500 worth of tools, all 120 Harbor Freight dust collector. And I was building end tables and hall tables and everything that you can think of with all 120 tools, a $300, $350 craftsman hybrid table saw, lunchbox planer, tabletop joiner. I mean, just you name it. And I was missing a bunch of tools. And before that, I only had two tools. I had a a sliding compound miter and a couple of hand tools. And I was able to build my very first piece. You do not have to have these tools to start. Are they nice to have? Hell yeah, they are. They're nice to have. You're going to get the accuracy, the repeatability, and you're going to have the feel of using a premium tool. It's going to make the experience less stressful at the end of the day. And they're nicer to, you know, you're going to have some creature comforts on these tools that you don't have on the cheaper tools. But to say that you need to have climate controlled shop, proper dust collection, all 220, the right tools to do the operation, you don't have to have that to start. Mm -hmm. But you will end up there if you put your time in and you sell some of the pieces, sell some of your tools, you work your way up to these tools unless you're fortunate enough to be born into money Mm -hmm. and you get a nice shop. But, you know, the people see these quote unquote influencers on social media Mm -hmm. that are, you know, that have Powermatic everything or all of the top tier tools. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, be careful there. (laughs) They didn't start there is what I'm going to say about that. I mean, I don't care that you have those tools. They're awesome tools. But you didn't start there. I didn't start with what I have. We didn't start with what he had. Mm -hmm. And you work your way up to that. So to Mm -hmm. say that if you don't have 
the money to buy all of those tools at the beginning, you can't do woodworking is incorrect. And, you know, and just to get back to your point of how expensive, you know, you got a $3,500 table saw, $3,000 bandsaw, $3,000 combo joiner planer, $2,500 cyclone, $1,000 router table, $2,000 mini split, and then five grand and other accessories and clamps that I didn't think of, you know, you don't have to start with that. Again, I started my entire woodworking journey with $2,500. And that was after, you know, buying a compound miter and, and, and whatnot. And I was able to build furniture. Was it as easy as it is now with having the accurate tools that I have? No, but it made me appreciate that process and appreciate the upgrade. Mm-hmm. So not having the money, you can find ways to build stuff and then figure out what kind of woodworker you want to be. Do you want to turn on a lathe and that's it? Go ahead, you know, find a, a lathe on Craigslist. And for a few hundred dollars, you're going to be turning pens and bowl blanks and all that stuff until you retire and even then until you, until you croak. But you don't have to have this kind of money to get started. And it's a little frustrating when you get these comments on YouTube. You're like, if I were to let you come into my shop, I guarantee you, if you're telling me, if you're telling me that statement, that means you don't know anything about woodworking. You don't know what you're doing because I can build what I just built on lesser tools. The fact that you're complaining about my tools on a woodworking channel just means that you don't know what you're doing because you would figure out how to use the tools that you have to build what I have, period. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have these tools to begin. You work your way up to it. But Mm. this is just, I thought it was an interesting question because I wanted to talk about mainly about the, the comments that I get on YouTube and even on Reddit, like on our woodworking, like I've been a, a member of that subreddit for gosh, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. And now they've gotten to the point to where if you are a woodworker posting on our woodworking, you're going to get crap for having good tools. It's just like, it's insane. Hmm. But anyway, I want I'm going to pass this off before I keep sounding like a, an old man, get off my lawn. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to pass it to a, to guy. Cause I'm sure you can probably talk about you didn't start with what you have now. No, I did not start with what I have now. I started out with very, very little. Uh, I think the first real tool I bought was a table saw. It was a craftsman. I bought a bunch of craftsman stuff because mm-hmm. it was inexpensive and, you know, it was the the, <laughs> the early 90s. And um, it was pretty decent for what, what I paid for it. And I was building all kinds of stuff. I think that you have to really determine if this, if woodworking is really going to be a serious hob- serious enough hobby for you. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of guys that are building things in a spare bedroom with hand tools bought off of eBay mm-hmm. that they may have spent three dollars $400 on. They're dimensioning lumber, they're cutting lumber, they're doing mortise and tenon joinery. They're, and they're doing it with all with very inexpensive refurbished hand tools. On the other hand, you know, if you feel that you, you need a, a $4,000 saw stop and you need a $3,000 bandsaw, more power to you. I mean, not everybody needs that. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of exactly what you're talking about, Nathaniel. I've got a lot of nice tools I am not an influencer. I don't consider myself an influencer. My social media is a byproduct of my woodworking. There's a lot of guys out there that are content creators that their woodworking is a byproduct of their content creation. The exact opposite. I'm a woodworker first. And I just take pictures and videos of what I'm making, of what I would make even without the camera being there. Mm-hmm. So I am been very fortunate that some companies have taken notice of what I do and have sent me tools in return for promotion of their project, their products. And I'll admit it, you know, Powermatic has been very, very good to me. Uh, Woodpeckers has been very, very good to me. Incra has been very, very good to me. Um, And there's, you know, three or four other people that, you know, I do a little business with here or there, but it doesn't change what I build. And you really don't, do I have to have all that stuff? No. Do I like to have all that stuff? Oh, yeah. I love having all the toys. Mm-hmm. I love having the tools. But do you need it? No. Um, it really depends on, A, what you want to build, 
and and be what your budget is. You don't have to spend a ton of money to get good machinery if you need good machinery. Craigslist mm-hmm. is your friend. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, we? Yeah, right there with all of you guys uh, in terms of how I started, mostly Harbor Freight type tools, uh, used tools, used table saw. I mean, used everything pretty much up until um, I started uh, being able to afford you know, new, nicer tools. But I understand what you're talking about, Nathaniel. It, it, I think it can be a little bit frustrating when influencers, content creators, you know, aren't really upfront about what these things actually cost, sort of making it sort of seem like, oh, well, you know, I have this shop full of all these tools and, oh, they disappeared. Well, no, they didn't, you know, they were sent to you and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. By the way, I think, Guy, I think you're in this camp too, is a you know, woodworker first and... You know, content creation is sort of a, a byproduct of you being a woodworker. I sort of feel the same. Uh, and in the same way, you know, companies have, some companies have sent me some things, but a lot of what I have in my shop, I've also bought too. Yeah. And, and I think that's important to know that uh, probably a vast majority of what I have in my shop at this point is because I bought it and because I thought it was something that I wanted. And also not just, you know, because I needed it, but more so because I desired it. The fact of the matter is, is I, I might have started in this space where I was trying to be as economical as possible. But at this point, now I've, you know, sort of splurged on some things. And uh, do I need it? No, absolutely not. Do I want it? Yeah. And that's why that's why I have it. And yeah, there's you know, a big very difference between needs and wants. Absolutely. But uh, but yeah, I, I get what Nathaniel's saying. But no, you don't necessarily the same way Sean, the same thing Sean was saying. You don't necessarily need all the these expensive tools to do it. It's just nice to have them and they're enjoyable. But we get those comments all the time. I get them all the time. It doesn't really bother me, though. Mm-hmm. And now a word from this episode's sponsor, and that's Maverick Abrasives. Maverick Abrasives is a family-run, American-made manufacturer of abrasives such as sanding belt and sanding discs. There are no materials used from China in their manufacturing process, and they really stand behind their quality and service. They have 5-inch sanding disc boxes starting at $12.50, and their pricing on sanding belts is the best on the internet. Give Garrett a call or check out their website at maverickabrasives.com. All right. So with that out of the way, Hui, what is your next question? Okay. So this question is from Dale and talk about expensive tools. He's got a question or a couple of questions specifically to the Festool Domino. Hey guys, wondering if you could give us an opinion on the Festool Domino machine. Any tips and tricks you may have figured out? Can the cutters be resharpened? What size domino do you mainly use? Do you make your own dominoes or do you buy them? Just curious. So uh, my opinion on the domino machine, I I think all of us have one. Uh, I think all of us have the 500, right? Which is the smaller of the machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much enjoy it. It's, it's, uh, I would not say it's an end all be all, but it is a very versatile tool. Uh, any tips and tricks that I've figured out? I like using, especially for uh, interior shelving or interior dividers, I like using a story stick because it not only gives a horizontal stop, but uh, it also locates, you know, if you mark the locations of where those uh, dominoes are, you can uh, mark the locations of the dominoes exactly uh, in conjunction with your divider or shelf. And so I like to use that uh, story stick uh, as a way of locating the dominoes on the vertical carcass parts. Uh, can the car- can the cutters be resharpened? I think they can, but I'm sort of, I don't know exactly because I've never had to sharpen them. Have any of you guys had to resharpen your cutters? Not my personal stuff, but at work we get ours sharpened all the time. Uh, the domino cutter? Yeah. Does it alter the sizing at all? No. No. Okay. Uh, what size domino, domino do you mainly use? Oh, gosh. Uh, I think I use for... Often for cabinets, I think I'm using, is it six millimeter? Yeah, six millimeter. And then I use the eight millimeter a lot for when I'm doing uh, either three quarter or seven eighths uh, up to an inch thick material uh, for hardwood. But uh, I think a lot of times for cabinet carcass, I think it's a six millimeter. I can't remember. But do you make your own dominoes versus buying them? Uh, I've always bought them. I've never made my own. Uh, I'll hand it off to Sean. 
any tips or tricks that you can share and what's your, you know, and you've had it for, for a little bit now, what, what's your, uh, what's your impression of them? I don't have any tips or tricks. I'm not like a heavy, heavy, heavy user of it. I just mm-hmm. use it. I do. The only thing that I, I do use with it is the, uh, what's the company's name for TSL? half it? No, no, for half inch and three quarter material, it mounts on the bottom. What's Seneca. 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 Yeah. 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 Seneca plate. Um, I do use that, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And as far as the cutters are concerned, I've not sharpened it. I did try to go cheap, surprise, surprise, and buy the CMT bits. And they're, they always cut an oversized hole and the, the, the dominoes were loose. So I, I've just always stuck to the, to the name brand Festool cutters mm-hmm. uh, to get the most accurate hole. And that seems to work best for me. And the, the dominoes that I use are the six and eight and mainly the eight, just because I use it for three quarter material, the most for, you know, loose tenons on, uh, doors and aprons and legs and stuff like that. And no, I would not be bothered with, <laughs> with making my own dominoes. Yeah. It, it's just, it's not worth the hassle for me. Um, cause I don't use it that much. So I'll just buy a pack on Amazon and then get that two day prime and then just use that. Cause I know it's, it, it's going to be a, an accurate fit and I don't have to fuss with using the round over using a drum sander. It's just not worth it for me as little as I use it, but yeah, I do like the domino. I have the 500, um, very, very useful. I've used it on several projects and, uh, it just makes of, uh, you know, quick work and it's an awesome tool to add to the arsenal. But, uh, guy, what about you? I'm sure you've got some tricks up your sleeve. Not really. <laughs> I, I use the hell out of the domino. I, I have a, a DF 500, which is a smaller one that I have at home and the domino I use the most in that machine is the five by 30. Hmm. Uh, Cause most of the time I'm, I'm drilling into three quarter inch material and you can use the six by forties, but then you have to have two different size or depth holes. You have to go inside one of them 15 and the other one 25. Hmm. And I always forget, and I drill through through the material, yeah, through the material. So it's just much easier for me to the the, the rule of thumb. It's the rule of thirds. So if you have a three quarter inch, that's actually you know like nineteen millimeters. So your six millimeter domino is the third of that. So you could use a six millimeter domino, but it's forty millimeters long. And if you set your domino machine to cut at twenty on one side and twenty on the other it'll cut through the 19 inch material. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So you have to set it at 15 on one side and 20 on the other. And I always seem to forget. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys have ever had that issue before. I've oh, a bunch of times. Yeah, so I just find it easy to use the five by 30. Mm-hmm. That way I can set it at 15 and boom, boom, I'm done. Do I make my own dominoes? Absolutely not. It's so much easier just to buy, you know, 500 of them for 20 bucks or whatever it is and just be done with it. I don't have time to sit there and set all that stuff and run all the material through. I just thought I may have the time. I don't have the the mindset to do it. It would just piss me off. (laughs) It's like, why am I doing this? Well, I just spend the 20 bucks and buy them. So I don't buy my own. As far as the cutters go, I have I'm using the original cutters I got with my Domino, which I bought used off of eBay. Mm-hmm. I've had it maybe five or six years, and I've used the hell out of it. I'm still I'm still using the same cutters. I have not sharpened them. Now at work, we have we just got a DF five hundred, but we've had a seven hundred, which is the big one. Since I since I walked in the door there, everything I make is domino together, with the exception of cabinets. But I just made a, a set of three pieces of uh, furniture for a a chapel. I made an altar, I made a, a a lectern, and I also made a kneeler. Everything is just domino together. It's so much easier, right? And it's so much faster. Uh, I just cut 
you know, I can just make a quick drawing, cut the pieces to size, and then domino it together, and I'm done. I don't have to rub mortise and tenons. I don't have to rub pocket. I don't have to rub this, about that. I just cut a domino, and I'm done. So in that sense, if you're really looking to speed things up, domino is definitely the way to go. Uh, as far as tips and tricks, I'm trying to think about that. I, I, I guess I really don't have any. Sean's right about the domino plate. That's a great accessory for the DF500. Sure is, yeah. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my my head as far as any other tips and tricks. So, well, Dale, I hope that brings a little bit of clarity in terms of uh, what our opinions are of the Festool Domino. I think you've got a pretty good indication of that, Guy. You've got the next question. So this question is from Jesse. It says, "Hey guys, I've been pondering the idea of adding a second." smaller dust collector to my shop instead of upgrading to a three horsepower system fully piped to each machine. Currently I'm in a small basement shop. That's about six or 400 square feet. That's pretty good size for a basement shop. I have a, a Harbor freight dust collector with a cyclone and filter. I've piped it with four inches to the table saw jointer planer and miter saw. It's not the best, but it gets the most of the chips from the planer and struggles with the other machines. My thought was to add a wall-mounted dust collector to the table saw and the miter saw, then leave the planer and joiner hooked up to the cyclone dust collector. Curious how much of a difference a larger dust collector fully piped would make. Hmm. Thanks, Jesse. Well, Jesse, without seeing the exact layout of how you have your system hard piped, I can't say yes, getting a, a three horsepower dust collector or a five horsepower Clearview Cyclone is, is the answer. Uh, the Harbor Freight dust collector, they say it's what, two horsepower? Yeah, it's probably more like one and a half. It's probably like, yeah, more, more like one and a half, more like one. Um, yeah. It's not going to have a, a, a very high static pressure. And the CFM is, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's a very inexpensive dust collector. Right. And having four machines hooked up to that really is going to depend greatly on the piping that you're using. If it's going in a straight line and just a few drops, or in this case, four drops is what you're saying, mm -hmm. I think that would be fine. What really makes a difference is how many turns and twists and going up or going down there is during all that. Mm -hmm. uh, in which case, a larger dust collector might make a lot more sense and keep the hard piping. Um, as far as adding a second dust collector... I have toyed with the idea of getting one of those small uh, Rockler Dustrite ones mm -hmm. just for the table saw because I have to have a pipe across my floor to get to the table saw. I don't drop it down. I just hook it up across the floor. So I've got to walk over that thing. Every time I work in the shop, I step over it, step over it, step over it, step over it. It would be nice just to have a dust collector underneath the table saw so I didn't have to walk over it. There are, I thought of adding a single dust collector to my CNC machine. However, I've decided not to do any of that and just stick with my main machine. Now I have a three horsepower and it is not hard piped. I've got a manifold on the front of it with four extensions. One goes to my joiner planer, one goes to my table saw, and the other one goes to my router table. The only time, and when I set my shop up, all I have to do is attach it to the table saw. Mm. And I've got a flex hose that goes to it. Did you and say one to your bandsaw? I'm sorry. Don't mean to interrupt. I'm, I'm getting there, Hui. Hold sorry. on. Hold on to your shorts there, Hui. Right. Hui, you got to be making a list now when he's talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> So my bandsaw is right next to my table saw. And when I okay. use the table saw, I, I pull it off and I put it on the, the bandsaw. And gotcha. I've got one of those dust right quick hook, hook up, those Rockler quick uh, hookup things. Yeah. And I've got them all on the machines. And the same thing goes for my CNC machine and the same thing goes for my drum sander. I've got to pull those machines out and I've got to hook up the flex hose to it. 
And it's not that big of a deal. Anyways, have you guys thought about getting a second dust collector? I thought yeah. about it only because to get where my miter saw is, I would have to run it across the ceiling, run it down, and I've got cabinets over there, so that wouldn't really work. So I had toyed with getting a second dust collector to stick on the right wall if you're facing, well, the left wall if you're facing the garage door, and came really close to actually purchasing one of the one of those uh, Rockler type mount on the wall mm-hmm. uh, just for the miter saw, and I had toyed with the idea of of uh, moving my drum sander over there, but ultimately. I just run a shop vac to the the miter saw, and then I extended the the duct work to the center of the shop, dropped it down, and it gets the little cluster of tools. I can definitely see how it's beneficial, but if you're upgrading to a three horsepower system, fully piped each machine, yeah, I would just recommend, you know, just using that. I don't understand, you know, I don't think you're going to need a second wall mounted dust collector for for anything. Um, well, if- he's pondering upgrading to that he's trying to figure out if whether or not that would be the way to go or if he could just dedicate his Harbor Freight one to two or three tools and then getting an individual one, which is a lot, lot cheaper. And keep Harbor Freight and add a second one. I mean, that would be cheaper. Yeah. Um, say just adding a, a, a second dust collector for the table saw and miter saw. Right. Yeah. The wall mounted. Okay. So I, I don't know. I mean, if your Harbor Freight is working fine, and you're just needing a little bit more at these other tools, these two tools. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to be your cheapest route. For sure. I've actually thought about it because mine, uh, my dust collector is fully piped and uh, into my big tools, table saw, bandsaw, router table, and uh, miter saw. But my CNC machine is off to the side. And so in order for me to do that, I have my dust co- main dust collector connected to my CNC. I have to run like guy a flex hose across the floor. Um, and then it goes up over because, you know, my CNC machine has to have the dust collection from over top. So it's a lot of flex hose and it works fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, it's got plenty of horsepower, you know, two horsepower cyclone is plenty for it, but it is a little bit of an inconvenience because it is across the floor. So anytime I walk on that side of the shop, I've got to walk over it and then so on and so forth. So I've considered getting a dedicated small dust collector for it. I haven't done it, and I stopped myself from doing it because I was going to be moving into a new shop space, and so I didn't know exactly how I was going to be hooking everything up. Now I figured uh, in the new shop I'm going to be you know, just piping everything fully. But in your situation, Jesse, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but we don't know for – I wouldn't know for sure if whether or not that's your real – really going to be losing a lot by having a dedicated one to yeah. uh, those machines. It's just hard to say because we don't know your shop setup, but I don't think you're going to be, I don't think you're going to be at any great disadvantage if you decided to do that. So you guys have your dust collector hooked up to your miter saws? No. Yeah, I do. It it, it, does, it doesn't work very well. I've got a shop vac. Shop vac. Yeah, I've just got a shop vac hooked up to my miter saw. Yeah. And it works just fine. Yeah. It would work better than than my dust collector because I have the over arm over the blade, over the blade. What even though I'm not talking about if I pull the hose out and just fill the hose, there's hardly any suction. Mm-hmm. Um so I've pondered getting just a small shop vac just to connect to that. Yeah, that's all I I have a uh, like a forty, fifty dollar shop vac from Lowe's and I bought a Forty or fifty dollar HEPA filter for it, mm-hmm. and I've got the, I've got a I've got a Festool Capex, and it goes into a a, a dust deputy, wow. and then that goes to the Capex, and it it's got you know a, a, a IVAC switch on it, and it works fine. Nice, yeah, yeah. So I I, th- I thought that was a good question to talk about because like I said I've thought many times about getting a second dust collector, yeah, but it wasn't because I was having a suction issue. It was because I just don't want the hose on the floor. Right, right. So I guess you have to weigh, you know, walking over. And that's what's always stopped me. It's like, you know, am I really going to spend $250, dollars on this thing just so I don't have to step over this thing anymore? Is that really worth it to me? Yeah. I didn't think it was. So I, 
I've, I've bagged it. Yeah. <laughs> so, all who's right. Got the next question. I've got the last question here from ML Bet Woodworks. Hey, fellas. So, I'm having some trouble getting nice glue lines when I'm edge joining long boards, six foot plus. I'm building a tabletop that's 72 by 36 out of hard maple. How particular are each of you when building tabletops? Should the glue joints be flush off of the joiner? Do you massage them with a hand plane? Are small gaps okay as long as they close up with a bit of clamping pressure? I've checked, rechecked, and re-rechecked my joiner, and it seems dialed in, so I'm pretty sure this is user error. Thoughts on using a magnetic feather board on the in-feed side of the joiner to help with stability? Love the show. Keep it coming. Uh, I do like the the magnetic feather board idea. I think that's that's a pretty cool idea to help keep it stable. But, you know, we've discussed this topic before. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the final decision was jointing long boards on, sh- on shorter bed joiners is difficult to do precisely. And, you know, one thing that you could do to help kickstart this, if, you, if you're cutting, with, cutting down some rough lumber, is to straight line rip it using a track saw. Or if you don't have a track saw, you could use piece of wood clamp it to there to the board and use a a circular saw just so you can get a at least a head start with a straight enough if not a perfect straight a perfectly straight surface that you can then take over to the uh to the joiner uh it's going to make it a whole lot easier because if you're trying to join a long board that's crooked or cupped or however you want twist whatever you want to call it it, it's going to be very difficult and you're going to end up with the um with a toothpick um you know, then it's just a matter of getting as close as you can with the joiner. And I've seen folks make extension tables for their for the beds of their joiners, but you know, that's probably gonna be not a challenge, but it's not gonna be something easy to do because you gotta make sure that the material that you're using is gonna stay flat and that you can get it coplanar to the bed that you're mounting it to. But, you know, back to your main question, how particular am I? You know, if I've got a small gap that clamps pull together, and I'm talking about a a small gap, nothing too crazy. If I've got a small gap, clamps pulled it together and I lift up that, that, uh, the dry run and I see no gaps on the back, no gaps on the front. I'm going to slap glue on that panel and clamp it up. Now, if I can't just dial it in on the joiner and I have gaps and you know, my only choice is to switch over to the hand plane, I'm going to go number seven and I'm going to work the board until I can get those, uh, the boards clamped together with no gaps. And if I'm going to switch to the hand plane, I'm probably going to get both of the boards, fold them in like a book, clamp them, and then hand plane both of the boards that are going to be gluing together. I'm going to hand plane those at the same time. Uh, And to be honest, if you can get a straight line rip using your track saw, you could probably just do a pass or two with your hand plane to clean up the rough edge. And you're going to be pretty darn close to uh, not even needing the joiner if you have a track saw or can get some sort of straight line rip. But at the end of the day, it's just tough jointing long boards on shorter uh, joiner beds. And outside of that, I know we've discussed this before, guys. Uh, Do you have anything else you can help ML bet? Or wait, I'm sorry. His name is Mark. I apologize about that. Um, Anything you can help Mark with on getting these jointed? And what is your threshold before you say, ah, this is good enough? So, Mark, uh, we deal with this all the time, which is the, the long boards on a, on a short bed joiner. Even if you don't have a short bed joiner, if you've got a long bed joiner, long boards are hard to get perfectly straight. Mm-hmm. What I always tell the guys are, if it's no more than, less than is good, but no more than like a 32nd of an inch mm-hmm. towards the middle of the board, mm-hmm. you're okay. If the boards meet in the middle but are open on the ends, that's a problem. That's a much larger problem. Mm -hmm. So spin the boards around, try to join them as best as you can and put them together. What Sean was saying about, you know, using a track saw, you can also use a table saw with a, with a board attached to it. That's straight with a, with clamps to straight line rip that Mm -hmm. way. There's a lot of different things you can do to straight line rip a board and help you get that pretty close before you joint it. Um, but it's a pretty common problem. And I, I don't know if it's necessarily user error. The machine might be off a little bit and it may be a little bit of user error, but it's, it's, it's a technique thing. You have to get used to the machine that you're using and you have to get used to how you're doing it at that machine. And then you'll figure out, you know, what works best for you. So, 
I really have not that much more to add. Uh, you guys have pretty much said it all. I mean, we've all dealt with it. Uh, I've done the same thing that you've done, Sean, which is go at it with number seven. Uh, some long boards. Ew. Ew. It works. <laughs> um, you know, after joining uh, on the joiner, um, I've gone at it with the number seven just to kind of give it a little bit more of a closer tolerance to what I would deem as accept- acceptable as a gap in the center. Guy, you said exactly right. Gaps in the center is, is much more manageable than gaps on the end. And, uh, you know, some people I really, do that on purpose, a sprung joint. Yeah, yeah, yep. And so I really have not much more to add. Yeah, the struggle is real, but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat it too much if the amount of gap that you have in the center is, you know, thirty seconds less than that. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah, that can that can be clamped out pretty easy. Yeah. And as far as clamps go, when you do this kind of if you do a clamp up and you're having problems closing joints. Do not use parallel clamps. Use pipe clamps. Hmm. You'll get a lot more pressure on them. those pipe. Those parallel clamps, they just like stop, and you can't get. They don't give much pressure when you got to close a joint, especially in let's say in a three foot or four foot wide panel. You have to be using pipe, pipe clamps. clamps. Yeah, because they've got a lot more oomph to them. Yeah. And you can also take the, since the way the handles are, if you really need to, to bring them home, you can take a dead blow mallet and <laughs> smack those things and you can close the joints pretty easy. But you shouldn't really have to do that. You know, in a perfect world, you should be able to joint your boards, put them next to, got, next to each other, and they just, the joints just disappear without any clamp pressure. That's a perfect world. It, it does work out that way sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, I like to just use blue painter's tape on my tabletops. What do you mean? It was a joke, you know, we glue thin boards <laughs> together with blue uh, tape. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? The hell are you I was like, what? what are you talking about? It's I was afraid old, to say anything. It's the painter's tape trick. Well, yeah. 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 Works on everything. Works yeah. On everything. Works Apparently on everything. they're they're a little slow with this tonight here, fellas. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, I think that'll do it for this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We'd also like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. And you can reach me at simplecove.com and at simplecove on Instagram and YouTube. Hui. Where can you be found? You can find me at alabamawoodworker.com. All my links to my social media are on my website. Guy? I can be found asleep in my chair in my office most nights. (laughs) Uh, Guyswoodshop.com. Awesome. Thanks for listening. See you in a couple weeks. All right. See you. See you guys. Bye.